Hey everybody. And uh, I just want to give you a quick heads up. If you have a kid that is, uh, I think, age five to 11, I think that's the right age range. We have kids camp coming up in, in about a month. It's going to be at the, uh, the 23rd, 24th, 25th of June, I believe. And you can sign your kids up online. You can go to the website and find your way that way, or you can pull out your phone and log into Church Center and sign up right there on Church Center as well. But you don't want to wait. Go ahead and do that um, and get them signed up. Um, would you guys stand up with us? We're going to begin our time of worship today. I'm going to read just a couple of scriptures out of Psalm 5. This is from Psalm 5. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Let all those who rejoice, who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who you love be joyful in you. Let's worship together. Be your name. You give and take 
not so much for those words to be true. Lead us to your cross. Bring us to our knees that we would lay ourselves down, that we would be rid of ourselves and we would belong to you. Lead us to your cross. What does that mean this week? What do you need to teach us? How do you need it to lead us to your cross and to your heart? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. And children are dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. Loyalty finds its greatest expression in acts of love and devotion. There's a great story out of Edinburgh, Scotland, that goes back uh, about a century and a half, back to 1850. There was a gentleman by the name of John Gray. He and his family moved to Edinburgh. He couldn't find work. Finally got a job working for the police department as a night watchman and he would walk the streets, the cobblestone streets of Edinburgh at night as a night watchman. It was lonely, so he decided to bring his Sky Terrier, Bobby, with him, and together they walked the streets of, Cob uh, of Scotland, of uh, Edinburgh, each night. In 1856, he came down with tuberculosis, and in 1858, John Gray died. He was buried in the Greyfriars Kirkyard, a cemetery right there. And from the time he was put in the ground, Bobby, the Sky Terrier, stood watch over his grave. The local residents had never seen anything like it. They couldn't get him to leave. If they took him out, he ran back. He would stay there every day. The caretaker of the cemetery attempted to evict him on several occasions, finally gave up and just built him a little shelter next to the grave. Then uh, a few years later, Edinburgh passed an ordinance that all dogs required to be licensed and have their tag on them. So the Lord Provost of Edinburgh at the time bought a license for Bobby so that he could remain in the graveyard with his master standing watch. At one o'clock each day, a local cabinet maker would come by and they would go down to a coffee house and get something to eat where John Gray had always taken Bobby and then Bobby would return right back to the grave. He passed away in 1872 and a group of people in Edinburgh had a statue made of him put across the street from the cemetery and a huge plaque that said something to the effect of, may we all learn from this example of loyalty and devotion. Our pets can be as loyal to us as we are to them sometimes. And what a great story. I would have been one that would have flocked to the cemetery just to see Bobby sitting there. Well, today we get to look in Scripture at a woman who loved well, a woman who loved well because she was a woman of loyalty and devotion, and her love found its greatest expression. Her loyalty found its greatest expression in acts of love and devotion. Her name is Ruth. See, we're going to turn to the book of Ruth if you want to join me today. And what we're going to see is that God does great things in ordinary lives through loyal love. Her life is an ordinary life. Her life, in fact, is a life of great suffering and a great tragedy and great ruin. But she remains faithful to God through it. And she gets to see God work in enormous ways beyond what she would ever imagine. And she doesn't do it at the start because she thinks of what he's going to do for her. She just trusts him. We get to see her and we learn how to love well just by looking at her life. An ordinary life that was trusting God. She's a woman who gives us hope. And seeing God at work 
in the midst of tragedy, ruin, assaults on our faith. She is a woman who shows us how God can use ordinary lives and how he can do great things regardless of what is going on. So we're going to turn to this short book of Ruth. We're going to look at Ruth, this woman who loved well, through the four chapters, the four movements of the book. And we're going to get a better uh, idea of how to love well, and more specifically, uh, a better idea of how to be loyal, both to God and to people. The first movement is in chapter one of Ruth, this little four chapter book, chapter one. And we see that loyalty gives love strong resolve. Loyalty gives love a strong resolve. When we express loyalty to people, we grow a deep-seated commitment toward them. Our love grows a deep-seated commitment. And what we see in this first chapter of the book is a commitment that Ruth makes with some of the most beautiful words in Scripture. In each movement of this book, we see Ruth as a woman of virtue, a woman of excellence is how my translation puts it. And in each chapter, there is a tension that arises in her life and in Naomi's life, her mother-in-law. And it is resolved by the providence of God, by God superintending the circumstances of her life. And she and Naomi begin to learn to identify God at work that way. It's an interesting book in that there are no great miracles here. And that's why I find it so relevant to us. There's no fish like you have in Jonah. There's no dreams like you have in Daniel. And, and there's no healings like Jesus does throughout the Gospels. This is just plain, ordinary living. God is at work the whole time. And, and the author makes it very clear to us how and when. And these women just live ordinary, faithful lives in light of what God has called them to do. And in their ordinary lives, God calls them or does great things. We might call it just faithfulness, the loyalty that they have. Their love for God and for others is what sets them apart. And they have experienced tremendous heartache. They have experienced tremendous tragedy, which we'll see right here in the first chapter. And... If they were told at that point, hey, hang on, God is doing great things. He's still accomplishing his purposes. He is still present with you. I think that they, like we, would say, I don't care. It just feels like he's abandoned me. Because his agenda doesn't match up to my agenda, so I can't see how he's being good through all of this. They're overwhelmed, just like we get overwhelmed. But they begin to identify God at work because his fingerprints are everywhere, just like in our life. So here's what happens. In chapter 1, we are told right off the bat that famine has hit Israel hard. So famine affects everything. It's their food, but it's their work. Everything is, is hit. There's an economic depression. There's no food to eat. And so this man named Elimelech, takes his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Chilion, and they head east. They head to Moab, to the country of Moab. It's just across the Dead Sea. And they are going to go there to this hostile territory, the, these pagans, these descendants of Lot, and they are going to look for their welfare in that country. That's where they go in chapter 1. Naomi's hope at that point is, at least I have my family as a mother and a wife. They settle in, and it's not too long before her husband, Elimelech, gets sick, and he dies. And Naomi is struck with great tragedy. She still has her two sons, Malon and Chilion, and, and they marry... And then within about 10 years, 
The two sons get sick and die. So here's a woman, Naomi, who has lost her spouse, her husband, and experienced that tremendous heartache, and now she has experienced the loss of two children that have died. She's experienced incredible heartache and tragedy. And she's at a loss as to what to do. Well, she hears that God has now restored food to Israel. And so she decides that she's going to return to Bethlehem. She's going to go back to Bethlehem. So she goes to her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, and she says, you know, you guys have showered me with grace. You've been kind, and may the Lord do the same for you. You guys go back to your family. I'm going to go to Israel. I'm going to go home. There's nothing for me here. There's nothing for me there. And indeed, as an older widowed woman, she would probably have to beg for the rest of her life. But Ruth and Orpah say, no, 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 no. We want to come with you. We want to join you on this journey. We want to stay with you. And she says, no, you've got to stay with your family. You've got to stay with your friends. You've got to stay with your gods. And so Orpah gives her a hug and takes off, but Ruth will not let her go. Ruth clings to her, we are told. Ruth is going to be loyal to her mother-in-law and look after her and stay with her. Naomi is hopeless. She's lost husband and sons. She's returning as a widow to Bethlehem. And this is what Ruth says in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. She says this, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. She is binding herself by an oath to Naomi and to Israel, the land of Israel, and to the God of Israel. She is making a commitment that is all in. Her loyalty gives her a strong resolve in her love for Naomi. And so she utters these beautiful words, and I take them to be her declaration, her testimony of faith, that she is now a believer, a follower of the God of Israel, of Yahweh. Evidently, through Naomi and Emelimelech's and, and perhaps her husband Malon's witness, she had come to trust in the living God, just like Abraham, by faith. So she makes this statement, an incredible statement that says, I will go with you. Naomi has told them, told her as well as Orpah, you know, I've got nothing to offer you. I've got no land. I've got no job. I've got no money coming in. I don't have any more sons. And even if I was to marry when I went back there, you couldn't wait long enough for those guys to grow up and marry them. She keeps repeating this, but you see, Ruth's loyalty and the love that she expresses is not based on what she can get from Naomi. It's a self-giving love. She just commits to Naomi. She commits to love her and stick with her, regardless of circumstances, regardless of conditions, and regardless of the fact that Naomi has nothing to offer her in return. We call that an unconditional love. In the New Testament, we call that agape love. That is the love of God. And all throughout the book of Ruth, the little Hebrew word hesed, that steadfast love, that loyal love of God is sprinkled. And we see it between God and man, between man and God, and between people. That's the kind of love that Ruth is expressing here. She is loyal at great cost because her situation is even more hopeless. She goes to Israel with Naomi, and now she is not only a childless widow, but she is a foreigner. She is a single woman, 
and she is from a land that Israel doesn't like, that Israel feels hostile toward because Moab has been hostile toward them. She's heading to Israel as an immigrant. And you know, the story of immigrants is that typically they head to another country for a better life. They can even quantify what that might look like. But that's not the case for Ruth. She's heading to Israel as an immigrant knowing that her life is going to be worse. She could return to her family in that collectivist society and be well taken care of. But she sticks to Naomi. She has a loyal love. And I'm convinced that she's able to love like that because she's loved by God. She has bound herself by oath to God, to the living God of Israel, to the God of Naomi. And she is now free to love others unconditionally. She doesn't have to look elsewhere for security and for strength and for significance because God will take care of her. And she is now free to love others. We readers can see that God's fingerprints are all over the lives of Ruth and Naomi. He has superintended the intersection of their lives. He brought back food to Israel, which led to their return. And so they go back to Bethlehem. And the friends of Naomi in Bethlehem that they haven't seen in years and years are all stirred up. And they're happy. And they're excited. And they want to see and hear from Naomi. What's going on? What's going on in your life? And what's God been doing? And, and Naomi, whose name means sweet, says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. So she's giving them a wordplay there. Don't call me sweet or pleasant. Call me bitter because the Lord's hand is against me. He has afflicted me. In fact, this is what she says in verse 21. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? She went out full with her husband and her children. She has come back and she says, I'm coming back empty. The irony here is that she recognizes God at work. She says his hand has been heavy against me. But she doesn't recognize what God has given her in Ruth. How many of us have ever had a friend say, I will go with you. I will go where you go. I will go to your land. I will worship with you. Hopefully in the church family, that has been your experience or maybe among spouses. But that's not common in a fast-moving technological culture like ours. She doesn't recognize or admit or care to be aware that God has given her Ruth the gift of grace, a companion whose loyalty is expressed in love. Ruth's love is rooted in her relationship with Yahweh, which Boaz confirms later in chapter 2. This is what he says in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. So he's aware of the loyalty and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and you came to a people that you did not previously know. Verse 12, may the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. He is affirming the faith that Ruth has, that she has exhibited in her life. God's grace is at work through Ruth on behalf of Naomi. Loyalty gives love a strong resolve, and that's what causes Ruth to make the commitment, the deep-seated commitment that she does. Next, we see that loyalty to God always strengthens our faith as we identify him at work. Chapter 2, loyalty strengthens the faith of the one who loves well. Naomi and Ruth have returned to Bethlehem. This chapter reveals taking care of their short-term needs, safety, food, shelter. Ruth's character shines forth as a woman who has a tremendous work ethic, and she's willing to use it. God's 
providentially providing for them and protecting them with the field of Boaz, and they're able to identify that. Their faith grows stronger by seeing God at work. Ruth takes the initiative here to go to work. The poor, the widow, the foreigner, in the Mosaic law, were told that they could glean from the land. They could take what was left over after the reapers went through in the harvest. And they could live off of that food if they were willing to work for it, to collect it on their own. So Ruth takes the initiative and says, may I go to Naomi, to a field nearby and glean for us? May I collect that we might be able to eat? And Naomi says, yes, please go. And she goes. And here's where God is at work again. The way the author puts it in verse 3, it says, she just happened to end up in the field of Boaz. Just happened. Well, that was God's guidance. That was his superintendence, just like he does in your life and my life. Every day, she ends up at Boaz's field. She exhibits a great work ethic, but she's also evidencing great faith here. Her loyalty to God, she is trusting him because she is in a very vulnerable position. She's in danger here by going out into the fields as a single woman, an attractive woman, a young woman. She's in danger of being taunted as an immigrant, but even worse of being assaulted by the workers in the field. She trusts God to protect her. The danger is evident in the words of Boaz. He would say this in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 2. Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. So she's a poor, childless widow, foreigner, immigrant who is gleaning in this land and God has brought them together. Boaz has taken kindly to her and he says, I'm going to let you go with my maidservants. And when they go through the land gleaning, you can go with them. I have warned my men to stay away from you. And when we eat, you can eat with us. And when we drink, you can drink with us. God has provided in incredible ways through Boaz, who has essentially said, I will protect you and I will provide for you. She doesn't know this man yet, other than that he's wealthy and that he's extremely kind and that he's extremely friendly and kind to his own workers as well. She overheard conversations. The tension over the danger is relieved because God has stepped in providentially. He has stepped in to guard her life. It's like he does in our life all the time. He brings people to mind that we need to call or talk to, to encourage them at just the right moment. He takes care of bills that we have by providing extra income or, or perhaps having the bill wiped away or comped. He gives us people in our lives to give us wisdom and insight at just the right time as we're facing decisions. God is always at work. And that's why it's such a beautiful thing to, to be in the practice of discounting your blessings at night, to be able to identify God at work, to be rejoicing at God at work, and not to go through life like Naomi thinking, his hand has strictly afflicted me as I go through heartache. These women, through Boaz, are able to identify God at work. The danger is relieved. Naomi realizes that Boaz is also a close relative of the family. And that gets her mind to thinking. God has strengthened the faith of these two women because of their loyalty to him. And their willingness to go out and work. In chapter 3, Ruth obeys Naomi. And this is what we see, that loyalty responds in loving obedience. Ruth is still committed to Naomi. She's the younger woman, but she is committed to her mother-in-law. She is willing to do what her mother-in-law says. And so her mother-in-law comes up with this plan. 
And Ruth responds in loving obedience to her mother-in-law, Naomi. The Lord had taken care of their immediate needs for food and shelter. Ruth had taken that initiative. Now Naomi takes the initiative to look after their long-term needs, their long-term needs for security, inheritance, and needs. And Naomi comes up for a plan, with a plan for long-term security based on the Mosaic law. Naomi realizes that Boaz is a close relative who is showing kindness to Ruth. And so she devises a, a plan for Ruth to indicate that she would like to marry Boaz, that she has a need for a husband. And the tension here is the fear of rejection because Naomi is going to send Ruth out to Boaz. But Ruth responds like this in verse 5 of chapter 3. She says, all that you say, I will do. Her loyalty to Naomi and her loyalty to God and trusting him that he has put her with Naomi continues. And so she accepts the counsel of Naomi. The Mosaic law has two elements that affect this. One is the kinsman redeemer found in Leviticus 25. And that is always a close relative. And it's not just a close relative, but it's a close relative who is willing to come to the rescue. So in a situation like this, where uh, a woman's husband dies and she has property, and perhaps that property has been gone now because they've been gone for years, and somebody else's hand needs to be bought back, or if somebody has to uh, um, keep the honor of the family by redeeming someone from slavery, uh, they would do that. They would be a, a close relative that comes to a rescue. And so there's a need of that for Naomi and Ruth. But there's also the Leveret marriage law in Deuteronomy 25. And that is where someone dies and then a brother to that husband comes in and marries this widow so that he can perpetuate his brother's name. That's it in simple terms. And so there's going to be a combination of those two things at work here in Naomi's mind as she looks for uh, Ruth to marry Boaz. So Ruth, she sends Ruth to see Boaz at the threshing floor. All the families are there. It's a time of uh, the end of the harvest. And uh, they are there, they are uh, harvesting the grain, and uh, they are feasting, and they're just sleeping there with their grain to protect it. And so Naomi says, Ruth, you need to go up to uh, Boaz while he's sleeping there, and you need to, to lay down at his feet and to humbly submit yourself to him. He awakens in the middle of the night. He's startled. He says, what are you doing here? She makes it known that she would, is in need of a husband, and she would like to, in all humility, uh, marry him. And Boaz is deeply moved. He says, I know you as a woman of virtue, a woman of excellence. It's the same word that is used in the Hebrew in Proverbs 31, of the Proverbs 31 woman. A woman of excellence. You have shown loyalty and love and devotion and purity. You have shown a great work ethic. And I am deeply moved by that. And I am deeply moved that, that you came to me when you could have a much younger man, is what Boaz says to her. And he says, there's just one issue. I am not the closest relative. There is one other man. So here's what I will do. I will go out in the morning, and I will ask him. He gets right of first refusal if he wishes to be the kinsman redeemer in this case. I will do that tomorrow. So Ruth goes home and reports to Naomi. Naomi says, let's wait and see. God has gone before them. God has resolved the idea that there could be any rejection by Boaz through Boaz's loving and kind reaction. The loving obedience of Ruth to Naomi grew out of her loyalty to her mother-in-law and her willingness to obey God. The commands of Naomi to Ruth in this foreign culture, I'm sure, made no sense to Ruth. But she was loyal to her mother-in-law. She stuck with her. She listened. 
And the Lord will use her obedience to provide for his purposes. We see in chapter 4 that loyalty leads to love's reward. Loyalty leads to love's reward. Ruth, Ruth and Naomi have been through personal tragedy and ruin. They've sought to be faithful and loyal to the living God of Israel, and God has providentially placed them in relationships to provide for them. And they've begun to identify God at work. As Boaz goes to the city gate on that next day, there's one remaining tension in this last chapter, and that's the anxiety that comes for Ruth and even for Naomi. What if this man takes it? What if this man redeems us? We don't know anything about him. We do know Boaz. He's proven himself to be loving and kind, and he's wealthy. He can handle all of this. But this other man, we don't know anything about him. How will God handle that? Well, Boaz asked the man to join him at the gate of the city, and he pulls in 10 elders to help them decide and, and to affirm and provide any wisdom. And, of course, witnesses gather because this is part of the fun of being at the city gate. And he grabs the other man, this closer relative to Elimelech. And he says, we have a situation here. Boaz is speaking, and he says, we've got some land here and that uh, of Naomi, of Elimelech, and uh, it's, Naomi is the widow. And we need to redeem the land. And it is yours if you wish to redeem it. And the man says, I will buy back the land. And Boaz says, okay. And there's a second part to this. If you take the land, then you also take Ruth the Moabitess as your wife. These two actions didn't always go together. Sometimes they ran separately, but in this case where there is a, a widow to be married who can perpetuate, who can have sons to perpetuate the family name, then Ruth becomes part of the package. And at this moment, the second man says, no, we're not even given his name. <laughs> Just says, no, I'm not, I'm out. I can't do that. That's going to ruin my inheritance, I guess, for his children. And so Boaz says, fine, I will do this. They exchange sandals, which is a way of shaking hands and saying, I've got it. And everybody there witnesses it and affirms that Boaz will be the kinsman redeemer and he will take Ruth in marriage. The witnesses all affirm it. Boaz declares that he wants to honor and perpetuate the names of Elimelech and Malon and their family in the name of, in Israel. And the witnesses call out blessings on Ruth. And when they do this, they use the names of Rachel and Leah and Tamar. Three other women who helped build the legacy of the nation that were also women from outside the nation that were brought in. They are there, the witnesses are there, blessing Ruth and blessing Boaz, that Ruth might be blessed of God just like these women were. And the story of Ruth ends with the recognition of God's providence. We are told that he enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. There is an awareness that the Lord has redeemed them through Boaz and restored to life the dead branch of the family tree of Judah, which had died off with Elimelech. He is a redeemer. He is a restorer of life. Ruth has a son and names him Obed. Actually, Naomi and the women name him Obed for her. He becomes the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David, King David. God has done great things through these ordinary lives that they never would have believed if they had been told at the start. He has put them into the messianic line. And he's done so much more beyond that that we don't have time for. Bringing in Gentiles by his grace, Ruth, the Moabites, to 
be in the line of David, which is ultimately the line of Jesus Christ. In fact, Ruth is mentioned in the genealogy in the book of Matthew. This is one of the rare genealogies at the end of Ruth chapter 4 that points forward because they want to show that David's lineage is authentic. And it's historically, it's proof for the Israelites that he didn't come to uh, be king and he didn't come to be in the messianic line through clever tactics and strategy. But that was God's providence putting him there. God's fingerprints are all over this. The women said this in verse 15, may also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law... Ruth, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. It's an interesting phrase, better than seven sons. Seven, of course, was the ideal number. Seven sons was the ideal family. And so if you had seven sons or if you were given that kind of blessing, people were saying, we want God to bless you in the richest way possible. We want you to have the ideal family. We want you to experience God's grace to the maximum. And what they are saying is, Ruth is better to you than the grace of having seven sons. Do you recognize that? It's as if everything was not yet clear for Naomi than it certainly was when they brought that out and they declared that to, the, to her. Sometimes we need that in our own lives to hear from somebody, to hear somebody say to us, hey, God did that. That's a God thing. Or keep trusting God. He will act and take care of your needs. The grace of God in your life is better than your wildest hopes and dreams for the perfect life. Ruth and Naomi have had tragic lives, but God has protected and provided for them. And that observation should give us great hope that grace of God in their lives should restore courage and peace and love in our lives and call us to a deeper loyalty because God does great things in ordinary lives through loyal love as we commune with him. Well, God protected and provided through his providential care. We've learned that he's in control of really small details of life food and shelter when things look hopeless. He's at work to sustain us with a future and a hope. He's at work in our lives, just like he was in the life of Ruth and Naomi. We've seen Ruth become a woman of virtue by committing her life to the living God. She had no promise of a better life, no promise of greater things, no promise of love in return. But she committed herself with a loyal love because she knew she was loved by God. In chapter one, by way of review, Ruth doesn't know that Boaz exists. And in chapter two, she knows him as a kind man, a wealthy man, a man who is allowing her to glean in his field. She takes gifts from him. In chapter 3, Ruth yields herself to him. She lays down at his feet in humility and believes his promises that he will take care of her. And the result is recorded in chapter 4. Ruth is no longer a poor gleaner because now she has Boaz and she has everything that she owns. I review it that way because I think too often, too many of us live in chapter two. We want to simply glean from God. We want to get his gifts to meet whatever our current need is. Instead of enjoying that deeper communion that God offers, that chapter four, that to, to recognize and to realize that we are united to the living God, that we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We've been given everything by his power, the power of Jesus Christ for godliness and for life. And that allows fear and anxiety to begin to dissipate. It calls us to greater courage as we walk with him. And it calls us to experience him through deeper loyalty and a more loyal love to God. 
God does great things in ordinary lives through loyal love. May we be a people that follow Ruth's example, bound by oath to the living God, reliant and dependent upon him and free to be loyal and loving to others while seeing him protect and provide for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for this account of the life of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and your constant work. We thank you for allowing us to see your fingerprints. Thank you for the way that you identify it through your word. And we recognize, Lord, that the hopelessness and the tragedy and the ruin can rock our world just like it rocked Ruth and Naomi's world. But we thank you that you're there, that you're in the small details, that you do great things through those who seek a deeper communion with you. And so we ask for the grace to respond to you with a loyal love that we might experience you to the fullest and recognize you and give you the grace that you deserve. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm caught up in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to Thank you. 
Thank you. You're dismissed. Have a good week.